Hey feminist friends and welcome to Real Feminism, the podcast where we discuss films from an intersectional feminist perspective. I'm your host Jo and today I'm joined by my delightful co-host Hedvig. Hello! Today we're going to discuss one of my favourite things in the entire world, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Harry Potter is the thing in general, not specifically this film. Everything about it apart from J.K. Rowling and the Fantastic Beast movies, are my favourite thing in the entire world. So I would say I'm very excited, but I'm really tired. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm excited, tinted with some sleepy energy that I hope you're not all going to have brought to you today. But maybe this could be a really good podcast for people to listen to when they go to bed. Maybe. I do love listening to podcasts when I go to bed. It's nice. So maybe we'll try to keep it like, you know, we keep our like bed voices. No, you can't say that. Like 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 our sexy bed voices. (laughs) (laughs) Like, hello. (laughs) Like we're ASMR now. Yes. um, You can just... Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk about Harry Potter. I actually love ASMR. It's one of my uh, next to Harry Potter. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> Harry Potter and ASMR. Oh my oh. god, ASMR Harry Potter. I'd be all here for like some oh some like ASMR potion making with all the clinky bottles and the sounds of the potion. Mm. Maybe we can do that next year. Oh, maybe. When we do like uh, when we do like a witch night, we can record some ASMR that you can listen to when you go to bed. Yeah, <laughs> for my personal use. <laughs> yes. I feel like this is getting into a weird territory already. <laughs> and maybe we can upload it as like an additional, you know, extra content for publishers. <laughs> um, I do have some ones that we could use for the ASMR. It does sound like this is now just code for weird sex. <laughs> that we're gonna have yeah we can make some potions and play with our wands is Ooh. that a thing as well in the asmr world that people listen to people have sex uh, uh it's not one i've come across on youtube i have to say <laughs> i've not googled it specifically the asmr videos i watch are normally personal attention ones so i might be at the hairdressers Ooh. i might be getting um one i watched recently was you go and you get a whole new face like you're a Ooh. sim yeah, there's a lady, shout out to Goodnight Moon on YouTube if you're an ASMR fan. She's really cool. She does lots of like 1920s themed things. You might be checking into a hotel in like the middle of nowhere and it's all autumnal and rainy. And oh, that sounds so nice. I need to check this out. I really love her a lot. She mm. also just seems like a really nice lady and she's very beautiful. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, I guess if you go into like sex territory, that would be porn, right? Yes. That would be like (laughs) audio porn. (laughs) But maybe some people find it super soothing to listen to people have sex. (laughs) Roshana. (laughs) Roshana was like, "Mm." (laughs) Oh, God. I feel like I should point out to everyone that Hebbig's currently lying on the floor of her office. Yes. Um, (laughs) Is that... That's the kind of Christmas sleepy energy that we're bringing. Although, yes. for everyone listening to this, Christmas has been and gone. Yeah, it's the running up to Christmas stress of delivering a million projects before Christmas break and not really getting any sleep. So that's why I'm recording this from the office floor of my studio whilst <laughs> exporting videos on my computer. So this is coming out on the 30th of December. Have you got any New Year's Eve plans? Because that will be tomorrow in the podcast world. I have no idea what I will do tomorrow. But I think <laughs> I, might, I might either be in Stockholm celebrating with some childhood friends. Or I might be in Gothenburg. Mm. Or I might go to the south of Sweden and maybe swim in an ice cold ocean and then go for a sauna. I'm getting a Swedish theme. To your... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will be. I am. I guess if, if this is coming out tomorrow, I am in Sweden at the moment. <laughs> Hopefully, if I haven't gotten COVID and couldn't get on the plane. Oh, um, God. Yeah, that's that's actually my worst fear now. I try to, me and Roshana, my colleague who's here in the studio with me, we tried to go to walk-in booster place today, but the queue was around the block. I'm worried about that too. But I'm excited for New Year's because I'm going to my friends and I think we're just going to play some board games and we're having tacos and margaritas on my request and when I told her she was like what why is there a reason why I "I just like them yeah I mean I think that's a good reason 
right? And I've got tequila here at my house and I just I just want to chill out and have margaritas and tacos and play board games. Sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You know a Swedish tradition, what's always on on TV on New Year's Day in Sweden, it's like when you you wake up the day after New Year's, you have a pizza preferably a pizza a kebab pizza if you eat meat that's a big thing in sweden a kebab pizza kebab pizza it's a pizza with kebab garlic <gasps> sauce pepperonis uh, all of that stuff holy shit or you can have a hawaii uh, which mm-hmm. is or which is basically you know ham pineapple cheese or you can have a very swedish speciality which is banana curry pizza what uh, <laughs> yeah I can't tell if this is real or this is Sweden. No, it's real. It's real. It's real. It's real. <laughs> it's a whole thing in Sweden with weird pizzas. Banana curry pizza. It's uh, tomato base. It's bananas. It's it could be chicken or ham. I can't remember. It's either chicken or ham. I haven't had meat in so long, so I can't remember. Uh, it's either chicken or ham. It's curry, and then it's topped with cheese. I mean, I would eat that if it were vegan, iced. <laughs> Sort of like a, yeah, it's a weird mix. I don't know how it came around. I mean, it is delicious. No, it's actually disgusting because I don't like warm banana. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like plantain would make sense, but banana. Yeah, I don't it's know. like too sweet. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> okay. Anyway, and then what I was going to come to is that so you eat one of those three pizzas and you watch Ivano. Do you know that film, Ivano? I don't. It's ringing a bell. I think it's a British film and they've shown that on TV for probably 30 years in Sweden on New Year's Day. So weird. I don't know. Or maybe he was Swedish. Was he? Huh? Now I'm getting confused. (laughs) I think he was definitely British. Oh, yeah. It's a British TV film from 82. Oh, Mm -hmm. I've never heard. Well, maybe I've heard of it. As I said, that distant bell is going. (laughs) What was that? A distant bell in your brain? Yeah. Okay. Moving back into the magical, wonderful world of Harry Potter. Yes. Oh, okay. So this film was released in 2001 when Joe was a little baby. Well, that's not true. I was 11 years old, but I was baby Joe in comparison to what I was now. I remember going to see this in the cinema. It was the first film I went to go see that was based on a book that I'd read. And I was so excited and so confused when it wasn't exactly the same as the book, like shot for shot. Yeah. <laughs> because I was... I was baby Joan. I didn't understand how films work. Um, it was directed by Christopher Columbus. And there are a couple of ladies involved in the production side of things. Oh, they both have tricky names. Paula Dupre Presman. Only tricky for me as a foolish English person who only speaks one language. And Tanya Sagatchian. Is she an exec producer? Maybe. Because I thought about this because I've actually watched four of the Harry Potter films this last two weeks. And I was actually looking for this in the credits. And the only woman I could see on the last film I watched was, which was Goblet of Fire was uh, Tanya so it's probably the same yeah probably is the same so maybe she's done a few of them I think she so, was an exec on that one yeah that would make sense I don't know I lump all the producers in one because I don't understand the way they break them down oh and obviously technically on the writing team is JK because it's based on her book JK being JK Rowling I don't know whether maybe before we start talking about the film we should briefly discuss J.K. Rowling and how problematic she is as a human being Mm -hmm. and how some people have kind of turned their backs on Harry Potter because of how awful she is they don't want to associate associate with it anymore Mm. which I completely understand yeah no definitely I think I think it's that side of people then I think there's also the other side of people which sort of have taken the Harry Potter universe and made it their own and sort Mm -hmm. of owned it back and sort of found you know trans themes in the stories and I guess taken it back and owned it for themselves Mm -hmm. because I guess when you when you work with storytelling and creating universes like this it's like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings or whatever it's an infinite universe and I think it's so easy then for people to create you know their own characters their own stories and I think also from Harry Potter there's loads of fan fiction that's come out of it Um, so I think there's like two camps when it comes to Harry Potter it's either like I guess not wanting to take part because of the creator or sort of wanting to still be in that universe because it is so magical and amazing Um, Mm. sort of making it your own in a way I totally get the not wanting her to have your money and not wanting to give money to this person who is 
So for those who don't know, J.K. Rowling essentially is anti-trans and has been very vocal and very on. And not that I think you can be particularly pleasant against trans people, but she's been very demeaning and dismissive on Twitter and very vocal about her hatred of trans people. And it's really upsetting for a lot of people because these books, a lot of kind of weird people who feel weird. I count myself as very weird. But for a lot of people who feel like they didn't fit in with society, these books made them feel like they belonged somewhere and I think a big part of the community are people who are also part of the LGBTQ plus community or like communities that society doesn't necessarily accept still and then to have the creator of that world say that they think you are a rapist and a paedophile and that you're all of these things is horrible yeah it's really shit my feeling on it because Unfortunately, I have Harry Potter tattoos, so I'm quite committed to the Potter universe. Um, Not unfortunately, I still love them. But my feeling is, I think Harry Potter is so big now, it's beyond J.K. Rowling. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm still very much an enjoyer of the Harry Potter world, and but very vocally against J.K. Rowling. Yep, I agree. I put myself in the same bucket. (laughs) Come and join us in the bucket, guys. (laughs) The pro HP yeah. anti JK bucket. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I do want to shout out a really great podcast called Witch Please. Oh, Hannah and Marcel are the women who run it and they are just fantastic human beings. They're, I think they're both professors of some kind of English. I don't know. My smart is nowhere near as close as their smart. They're incredibly smart women and their podcast is them analyzing the harry potter books from like an english lit perspective like you're back at english class at school but they do it from loads of different perspectives and they're currently they did it years and years ago and they've this year they came back and they're doing it all again but a bit more in depth so Mm. very excited to have them back but worth having a listen to them because they do talk a lot about how she's anti-trans and how that's not okay and they also talk about different trans theories within the book there's a fan theory that Hagrid is trans mm. for I can't remember exactly what the theory is but they talk about how the descriptions of him are often quite effeminate like his pink umbrella and his tea cozies and that oh yeah and he loves baking and yeah, yeah. and he's always baking and he wants to be like a mother for the dragon and mm, true yeah I also I did write down one of the first things I wrote down for today is that I love that you see him crying when Harry's left on the Dursley's doorstep because you don't often see men being allowed to have emotions in films and I guess also because Hagrid's being as like his physical physical being I guess is very sort of stereotypical male in a Mm -hmm. sense it's like very big yeah a lot of hair he has quite a sort of can you say crusty voice husky husky voice yeah (laughs) got like a quite husky voice and he's I think he just embodies a lot of what like masculinity is supposed to be but then he has that like very soft caring side to him which is so nice yeah he does um we're jumping around a little bit but I should probably for people for people who don't know the story of Harry Potter where were you born (laughs) where have you been where have you been (laughs) but essentially it's about a boy who at the age of 11 gets told that he's a wizard and up to this point he's been living with his very abusive aunt and uncle and he gets whisked away to Hogwarts where he learns magic and makes new friends and gets to make potions and it's all very exciting but he learns that the reason he doesn't have mum and dad to look after him is because they were killed by a very bad wizard and he ends up fighting this bad wizard at the end of the first novel slash film and etc etc I would recommend reading the books over watching the films because ugh, the books, chef's kiss, they're very good. I'm sort of in the middle. I'm on book five, which is where Witch Please are in their podcasts. So I've been sort of reading along with them and it's so, so lovely to read them again. It's like go, sitting in a warm bath with a hot chocolate and a fire. <laughs> it's just oh, so man. nice and cozy. I think also Harry Potter, like Harry Potter was my, I guess one, I mean, I read a lot of books when I was a kid. I was a bookworm. Mm. But I think Harry Potter was probably the first book where I was fully immersed and was like, I remember me and my cousin, it's just a year between us. And every summer when we had summer break, like we would literally spend 
every day just reading like we would take the book with us everywhere we went to dinner yeah. to the toilet like <laughs> everywhere I would literally sit on the toilet for like two hours waiting it didn't take me two hours to go to the toilet by the way it was just you know it was just it's just such an immersive story and especially when you're how old was I when the first book came out well we're the same age so eight seven eight was that when the first book came out I'm gonna have a look because I I read the first book when I was seven but I have a feeling it came out before I was seven yeah maybe it did. because then I think the books I remember when I was 11 because I think a book came out when I was 11 I can't remember which one of the were which one it was but you know when you were hoping to get that letter to Hogwarts yeah mm-hmm. it was published in 97 yeah so we were really so we would have been about five five yeah um yeah I didn't read it then until I was probably seven or eight yeah that makes sense I remember my grandparents bought it for me it's just so lovely but it is weird rereading them as an adult I have to say because there's a lot of themes in there that are quite shocking like the um the trauma that Harry must go through yeah is is really hard to read sometimes because you forget like when you're reading as a child or a teenager you're kind of the same age as they are so it doesn't feel weird but when you read as an adult you're like oh my god these are children yeah I remember reading Goblet of Fire and bawling my eyes out when Cedric dies like that I I've cried so much I don't think I've cried that much reading books like yeah. ever in my life uh, but I guess you're also like I think I, I must have been a teenager so I guess I was quite emotional in general yeah <laughs> but then yeah it's just so it has such a big like I guess for both you and me and for a lot of people especially our age I think it plays such a part big part of growing up and also you know learning a language and all of that stuff I think it yeah it it had had a big part yeah we have quite a few characters to talk about yes it's a lot of characters in her there are a lot of characters I wrote down a lot of female characters and a few intersectional ones so that's fun but what I would say is that a lot of the characters are only in the film for actually quite a short amount of time yeah so although we have people like Professor McGonagall, Aunt Petunia, Madam Hooch, the fat lady, Mrs. Weasley, they only have Professor McGonagall's in it a decent amount and Aunt Petunia's in it a fair amount at the beginning, but the rest are quite a fleeting portrayal. The big one, obviously, is Hermione Granger. Yes. Who is a delight and is mistreated by Ron. And I'm still very upset that they got together. I think she deserves better. But anyway. Yes, um, me too. I've been thinking about this. <laughs> so much now re-watching the the films like or I think about it every time I re-watch them but I think especially now because I think I've been a lot in that sort of a close person in my sort of close approximate circle Mm -hmm. it's in sort of a quite abusive relationship and like a psychologically abusive relationship and I think that sort of triggered something because I thought about it so much yeah and that sort of you know small aggressions and I don't know I was like why 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 would you he's not my favorite character I have to say we kind of have some intersectional characters to talk about and I say kind of because there are intersectional characters there but they're not really in the film that much. Mm. Um, So we have Dean Thomas, who is in Harry's year in Gryffindor. We have Lee Jordan, who I think is in Fred and George's year, so the year above. And he does the commentating for the Quidditch matches. Yes. We have Angelina Johnson, who we were trying to remember the name of at dinner the other night and couldn't get Angelina Jolie out of that. (laughs) (laughs) And she's on the Quidditch team. I couldn't work out if Alicia Spinett is also played by a black woman because there aren't pictures for either of them on IMDb and they're moving too fast on the screen in Quidditch for me to work out who's meant Mm. to be who. Mm. But anyway, Ferenz, who is a centaur, he is a black guy, played by a black guy in the film. Hard to tell because he's also half horse. And fully CGI. Yeah, and very CGI. (laughs) Um, and then we also have Grip Hook and Flitwick, who are played by. Oh, I learned something fun yesterday. So Warwick Davies plays Flitwick, and he also plays the Goblin Teller that they first meet when they go to Gringotts. And then he plays the voice of Grip Hook, who's the one who shows them to the vaults and goes, Key, please. Lamp, please. He does the voice, but Vern Troy is the person who is acting at the time. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't speak but it's him that you're seeing on screen, which I didn't know until Mm, yesterday. Interesting. For people listening, this is her big and I in lifetime trying to be good intersectional feminists and work out what term 
people are most comfortable with because sometimes that changes quite quickly and we're both approaching 30 now so terms that people might have used when we were younger might not be okay now but the NHS have referred to the condition that Warwick Davies and Vern Troyer have or had in Vern's case is restricted growth brackets dwarfism okay so they both have restricted growth so I thought it would be worth putting them in the intersectional mm-hmm. side of things mm-hmm. I mean, in general, I think with the Harry Potter universe in general, when it comes to non-sort of normative bodies, mm. I think it's it's so diverse when it comes to that. I mean, I feel most of like the human witches, smugglers might look sort of similar. But when it comes to more of like the magical creatures, and I was thinking about that with uh, now when I watched the fourth film with Hagrid and... Uh, Oh, Madame oh, Maxine. Yeah, Madame Maxine. Dumbledore. Yeah. <laughs> Dumbledore. <laughs> and that I was like, it's it's so great to see because there's not really, there's such a diversity of sort of, yeah, bodies in that mm. sense. There is, but one of the things that upsets me the most when I reread these books, and it is shown to a degree in, the, in this film, is the fat phobia that's in there. It's really quite disgusting, to be honest, in the books. Um, I'm trying to think of some terms that because I sent some to Lee and I was like, I cannot believe this. But the way that like Dudley's described and that he's got like a really piggy mouth and he's always shoveling his mouth with food is is really unpleasant. Oh, yeah, because all the um, are they called Dursley's? Dursley's yeah oh yeah the whole Dursley family I mean they're all except for on Petunity I guess but Dudley and Vernon and also them is it Vernon's sister that comes to visit oh Aunt Marge I mean they're all yeah they're all fat basically Mm -hmm. yeah and it's and also evil I guess so yeah yeah they're horrible people yeah so in this film we do see that Hagrid tries to turn Dudley into a pig and he does that whilst Dudley, just in the middle of Hagrid's threatening Vernon, and you know, quite what would be quite a scary experience for a child who doesn't know who this giant of a man is. He's just walked into them there where they're living. He just decides, I'm just going to eat this cake that this giant has bought for Harry, which I'm like. I I feel like they're using that just to be like, look how greedy he is. Even at this time of peril Mm. where his life could be at threat, all he thinks about is eating. Mm. Then Hagrid tries to turn him into a pig, Mm -hmm. um, but only manages to do the little curly little towel. And in the book, I think he says something like, oh, I I wanted to turn him into a pig, but I guess it wouldn't have made much difference anyway. Ah, right. Something like that. Yeah, I guess like the the Dursleys, like they wouldn't necessarily, like they didn't need to be like fat. They could have been, you know, and I think maybe what sort of that important bit is that they're like greedy and a bit narcissistic and just care for themselves, basically. Yeah, it's it's just upsetting to see it come up so much um, because I think like every time the Dursleys are mentioned, they're talking about reminding you, oh, by the way, Dudley and Vernon are really fat. And you're like, yeah, I get it. Mm. (sighs) It's just an unpleasant remark Mm. yeah if you look at all the humans like all the good humans I guess are thin yeah and if they're big like because Hagrid's obviously a very big guy but it's explained that he's half giant so that's fine whereas I think the the inference with Vernon and Dudley is that they're lazy yeah and not good and that's why they're so fat and I was also thinking about that I mean this is from the fourth film so maybe I'm jumping ahead a bit but uh the dance the dance sequence when they're going to learn how to dance for the ball there's also a segment where I think Ron and Harry are talking to each other and they like they don't want to dance because they're boys and boys don't dance blah 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 mm-hmm. and then I think McGonagall says something like inside every girl there's a swan where oh, yes. it out or something <laughs> and Ron then mentions like a character that you've never seen and never have been mentioned that much which mm-hmm. has a lot of acne and he's just like yeah there's something that is about to burst on blah 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 oh yeah Louise Midgen or something oh yeah Louise Midgen I think Mm, Eloise yeah and I was thinking about that too I was like why so unnecessary I know um so yeah that's one of the things I wrote down on here is the fat phobia which is one of my 
one of my least favorite things about this film and I know we're a film podcast and not a book podcast but I've read this book probably more than any other book I've ever read <laughs> in my life so yeah it's quite upsetting I did notice when I was watching this yesterday that we get two mother figures that we see in this film we have Aunt Petunia and we have Mrs Weasley and neither of them have jobs they are both stay-at-home mums. Oh, yeah. So Aunt Petunia, she's described as being the opposite of Uncle Vernon physically. So she's incredibly skinny and thin and snooty and looks down her nose at people. And she's a stay-at-home mum. She looks after Dudley. That's her role. And the house is always spotless and clean. They always have, like, proper sit-down meals and all that kind of stuff. And then Mrs Weasley, she's the one who's taking the kids to the station. And she is also a stay-at-home mum who does all the cooking and cleaning. I have a lot of questions about what Mrs Weasley does when the kids are at school. Because also, she makes everything clean with magic. Yeah, so it must be a lot easier. So surely... I know she has Ginny still because Ginny's not at school yet in this film mm. but surely she could have a job if she wants mm. yeah okay let's not get down into the fan fiction rabbit hole <laughs> but I thought that was quite interesting that particularly given that JK Rowling I think is a single parent I might be wrong in saying that but I'm I'm pretty sure she became a single mother at mm. one you would have thought she'd be able to write about a mum who also working moms yeah who also works but yeah I wonder if if um the professors have kids like do McGonagall have kids no I don't know it's a good question we know I we don't think we ever know never mentioned I think because they also stay at the school non-stop they sleep at the school yeah so they couldn't really have a family I mean they could but not live with the family and um, they'd have to stay in Hogsmeade or something I guess yeah it's never mentioned so I thought that was quite interesting mm-hmm. although it felt like JK Rowling was quite because she is a feminist or she describes herself as a feminist so it feels like she should have some quite open-minded views mm-hmm. but I think with this film you sort of see the beginnings of maybe transphobic JK coming out with the fat phobia and the very traditional gender roles mm. some of her characters have because mm. I also noticed that when Vernon decides they're going to leave because of all of the letters coming to the house and he's like that's it yeah Petunius doesn't question him or at least we don't see it which I feel like surely should say something about this surely yeah. you'd be like Vernon this is ridiculous because we know that her sister is or was a witch so she knows about all of this magic stuff she knows it can't be stamped out and we know that she hates it, but I don't know. She's, she's she just... should have some insight. But yeah, I think like going back to that, like J.K. Rowling, um, herself identifying as a feminist, you know, it's also like, then why would you write a book where the main character is a very stereotypical boy and the side, like the sidekicks is also a very gender stereotypical boy and also a super stereotypical girl. Like, you know, quiet, good in school, studies hard, typical like good girl syndrome. And the boys get allowance to be like rowdy and mess around and fuck things up, basically. Yeah. I think it's in the first part of the film where Hermione's like, why do you have to go and like, what does, I can't remember what she says, but she's like, why do you have to constantly break the rules? Like she points it out yeah. sometimes. Hermione. She's not written well. She's not been done a good service by JK. And no. therefore, she isn't portrayed very well in this film. Like she's bossy and stuck up and she just cares about the rules. But actually, they would be so fucked if they didn't have Hermione. They would be so fucked. Like she literally saves their asses constantly. So many yeah I mean just I mean that was maybe jumping ahead a bit but like at the end when they have to solve all these like puzzles and challenges it's mainly like it's all yeah it's only because of Hermione they actually come out through that alive if you could just indulge me for a moment with briefly mentioning the book because I am very upset by how they treat Hermione's character in this last section So in the film, um, they have a number of tasks or trials that they have to get through before Harry can face Voldemort at the end. And in the film, you see Hermione knows how to sort out the devil's snare. So she literally saves their lives in that section. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that's it. That's kind of her done for the rest of that section. But in the book, she has this whole thing with the potion section where she has to work out a riddle and use logic to work out which potions they need to use to go forward. 
mm-hmm. into where Voldemort is. And it turns out that only one potion out of a selection of like six, only one of them can be used to go forward. So they decide Harry will go ahead because this is Harry's <laughs> quest. <laughs> <laughs> and she will take the potion to go back and she'll go get help for Ron. And it really pisses me off that in the film, Harry's like, no, you stay here. Yeah. I'll go on ahead. And she just stays. Yeah. It's so annoying because I know she gets that bit with the devil's snare, but she does more in the book than mm-hmm. they do in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she she understands that Ron's alive. We're going to leave him here. We're in an emergency situation now. We're just going to go ahead. He'll be fine until we come back. And then they get to a point where she can't go any further. She has to go back mm. instead of just Harry being like, oh, go on, you stay here. And her being like, yes, Harry, you are the strong boy. <laughs> yeah. The girl. Yeah. Ah. No, I feel your frustration. Yeah. And I do get that from a film perspective, watching someone work out a riddle in a room with potions is probably not great cinematically mm. in the same way that like the whole chess scene is. So I, I do get that. I just think it's a shame. It is. It's a great moment for her to shine. It is. And I mean, she is literally the star. Like, she works everything out. She's so knowledgeable and so courageous and brave. And yeah. And I also think it's okay not to want to break rules. I used to hate breaking rules too. I used to hate getting in trouble. I never liked it. And I think she's very aware that she's coming to this school with a disadvantage, not just because she's a girl, but also because she's muggle-born. And that's something that's discriminated against in the wizarding community. Mm. And she knows she needs to work harder to get ahead. Yeah. Whereas Ron does fuck all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And as you see later on, we'll get her to do his homework and is just mean to her all the time. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get through some, like, traumatic experiences for me going through this. Oh, Just, I just find Ron really upsetting. And when he says, like, oh, she's a nightmare, honestly, no wonder she hasn't got any friends. I know. Why is he? Oh, it's so sad. I know. Like, it's not her fault you're shit with spells, is it? God, he's such a little shit bag. And I also find it frustrating that she doesn't fight the troll. That she, I know she's taken completely by surprise, but both of the boys, like, jump on the troll, are sticking their wand up his nose, Mm -hmm. and Hermione's just, like, cowering under Mm -hmm. a sink. And she does show Ron, like, how to do the spell properly. But again, I'm like, she's a smart freaking girl. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure she could have figured out using her wand and trying to figure something out. Definitely. One of the other things I found a bit frustrating with Hermione, or the way Hermione's portrayed, is during the scene where they're having a flying lesson with Madame Hooch, at first, watching this as an adult is so funny. There are 11-year-olds. Neville has left his remember all behind. In fact, <laughs> Malfoy says, maybe if the fat lump had given this squeeze, he'd remember to fall in his fat ass. Which, mm-hmm. firstly, not great. More fat phobia. Mm-hmm. But secondly, Harry is then like, give it here, Malfoy. <laughs> and decides he's going to chase after Malfoy on a broom. And I was watching this with my friends yesterday. And I was like, why does he give a shit about Neville's remember all? Like, yeah, he's not going to die if he loses it. Imagine if they just stood there and were like, all right, Draco. If if they just ignored him, he would have looked like such a twat. If everyone was like, we don't give a shit about Neville's rememberal. Like, yeah. if he gets it that great, if he doesn't, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And it's, I think it's like, what really annoys me with Harry as a character in general is that he always, always needs to play the hero. Yeah. And it's like in every situation for good and bad, really. And that sort of need to always prove yourself and not even like just against, you know, deadly threats, but things like that, you know, with Malfoy, like he always have to be the good guy and like always have to stand up for himself and his friends. And I guess, I mean, I guess it's good. I just find it a bit annoying sometimes. Well, this is what I don't like about Gryffindors. That feels like very Gryffindor energy to me where it's like, <laughs> Yeah. You don't need to be getting into this big ruckus, Harry. Chill out. No one cares about the rememberable. <laughs> and Hermione does try to stop him. She warns him because she knows if he gets caught, he'll get into trouble. Yeah. And then when he goes off and flies, she has that classic, what an idiot. What line. an idiot. And I was like, yeah. And it's annoying that he then gets rewarded by being put on the Quidditch team. Yeah, it's so fucked. I feel like this is stuff that happens in like real life all the time as well. Boys are being allowed to be rowdy and treat girls like shit and they get awarded for it or they're being told boys are just being boys. 
I think that line is even in the one of the films somewhere when they're referring to the boys doing something stupid. And it's just it just annoys me so much. Whilst like I feel like Harry, you your life has changed for something amazing. Wouldn't you guard that and try to protect that and not risk being expelled from like from a school which had literally saved your life? Like mm-hmm. not literally, but like from living in a cup saving from an abusive situation. Yeah, exactly. Like, why wouldn't you take care of that and protect it and want to do good? I just don't get mm. the. I don't get how he constantly trying to challenge things, breaking the rules, sneaking out at night, blah blah blah. And again, later on, when when the three of them find Fluffy and Hermione's, um, firstly Hermione manages to unlock the door when they're running down the hallway, and Ron's like, "Oh, it's locked," and she goes, "Oh, move over, Alohomora." Yeah. He's like, you fucking idiots, there's an easy spuddle, knock it off. Um, and then afterwards she says, oh, you didn't see what he was standing on, did you? Uh, and she figures out, like, he's standing on a trap door, he's guarding something. Yeah. There's a reason that the dog's there. Whereas I think the others, I think Ron says something like, who would put that there? Yeah, stupid. Yeah, she's like, her doy is guarding something. Yeah. And then obviously there's that classic line of, like, wanting to go back to bed before you get us killed or worse, expelled. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah. Which I think was added for the film. She is my favorite. Yeah. By far. Yeah. And I just think it's a shame the way that she's treated a lot. You do get to see, like, she's the one who hexes Neville when he tries to stop them at the end from going back out. Because Neville also is like, stop breaking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Neville. I love Neville. But yeah, I think in terms of like sort of gender stereotypical characters. I think it's not until maybe maybe until Tonks that you see some sort of alternative like female character that's not like because I'm thinking of like I don't know like not like a sort of side character but someone that actually has lines and like is actually Luna's a very yeah maybe but she's still quite passive and very sort of laid back and I'm thinking someone that is a bit more like the boys, you know, that's sort of yeah. a bit rowdy and takes up a lot of space. It's weird when we were watching this yesterday, we were all saying like there really aren't that many women in this film. I think because it is focused so much on the three of them. Yeah. And then Voldemort's obviously the bad guy and he's male. Yeah. And then Quirrell and Snape well Snape's thought of as being the bad guy so he's in it a fair bit yeah Quirrell is the bad guy and that is just a lot of mask energy yeah I was also thinking about this because obviously Quirrell is the carrier of Voldemort and I started thinking about all the dark arts defense against dark arts teachers is there a female defense against the dark arts teacher ever yes Professor Umbridge but she only teaches them theory she doesn't teach any practical magic oh yeah I remember now yeah yeah but was she was she assigned as a teacher first or was she first that sort of she has some weird role where she's like from the ministry like inspecting the school she's on I think it's the wizard gamut maybe yeah when um when Harry's gone goes to trial for defending himself against the Dementors she's one of the witches in I guess what you would call the judging panel yeah like the court yeah 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 she's one of those oh man I really want to do the fifth film so that we can talk about her because she's a very interesting figure yeah oh I know I want to say about Hermione going back to fan theories um there's a big theory that she is or should at least be a black woman Mm. one of the big reasons for that is because she's always described as having this like frizzy hair Mm. which is how a lot of people refer to like sort of afro texture hair as just being really frizzy and she also she I think a lot of people have written that she because she's so aware that she needs to try as hard as possible to get ahead that's something that a lot of black people are aware they have to do like the whole Mm. sort of saying is working twice as hard to get you know halfway Mm. to what a white person can do Mm. but again listen to which pleases podcast because they talk about this a lot in a much more eloquent way my memory is appalling and although I've listened to it I can't remember all the points that they made but I really like that reading of her and think it makes a lot of sense oh and also it then adds another dimension to later on in the films when Malfoy is referring to her as a mudblood mm. and that whole idea of like your blood being tainted by being a muggle 
Mm. adds a different dimension to it yeah because I guess also in the in the magical world muggles are sort of seen as a different race yeah and they're very much seen as being inferior as well Mm. because when we meet Mr Weasley in some of the other films he although he really likes muggles he kind of infantilizes them and he almost Mm -hmm. sees them as being this exciting exotic animal that he can learn about and is always like oh look at the things I've come up with without magic isn't Mm. it amazing Whereas in this film, I was like, you know what would have helped them a lot in this film? Would have saved a lot of time. If they had Google. They could have <laughs> Who yeah. is Nicholas Flamel? Yeah. Problem solved. <laughs> exactly. No, very true. Very true. Yeah, they a computer. Like, they would benefit from using a computer. They would benefit. I, again, this obviously came out in the 90s. The book and the film was... True, true, true. But even so... There's a lot of muggler mentions that the wizards could could do with having, like mm-hmm. underfloor heating. <laughs> Surely there's some kind of spell that is the equivalent of, is it control F when you try and search something on a page? Yeah. Surely there's a spell for that in the library. Yeah. Because how do they even... Okay, let's not get down a wormhole of how the library is categorised and how they find what they need. Because there are so many points... Where yeah. it's described that they're trying to find something and they're like drowning on the books because they can't find mm. it. I'm like, surely there's an easy way. You guys are wizards. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Same. Like now. Oh, my God. I can't keep that. This is the issue when you watch more than one film. <laughs> I feel like it was the same thing when we did The Matrix and I had just watched all three of them. And yeah, you just mix them up. But it's the same thing when Harry is studying for the second task in a Triwizard tournament. And he's like in the library for ages, can't find shit about anything. And then Neville is like, well, look at this book. You know, I found it in this book. It's like, why wouldn't you look in that book, you stupid? Like, yeah. Yeah, I know. One of the other things I thought might be fun to mention is some of the classism that's shown in the wisdom community. So there's a bit where Malfoy says to Harry, you don't want to go making friends with the wrong sort. I can help you there. Mm. It's not something I guess we'll get into too much because it's quite an in-depth topic. But Ron and the Weasleys are portrayed as being quite poor and not having much money. And they're also seen as being quite low status in the wizarding community because I think they're considered to be blood traitors because they are they like muggles and are friends. Yeah, but isn't it of... also because Mr. Weasley works for the Department of Muggles? Yeah, possibly. But I think I think he chooses to work there because he likes muggles. Ah, right. So okay, I think yeah. he could have been promoted to something else in a different department, but he wants to be in the muggle mm. department. And yeah, whereas the the Malfoys live in a manor house they're incredibly wealthy Lucius Malfoy is on all of these like the school governor's board what does he do he works with the ministry too does he Lucius I think he does I don't have too much to add except that I think it passes the Bechdel test so you say probably there's only one moment where two named female characters speak McGonagall and Hermione Yes. Yeah, it's when the troll has been defeated. Mm. Oh, and then when she lies for Ron and Harry so they don't get in trouble. Mm. I think McGonagall speaks to her about how, you know, that was really stupid of you, 10 or 5 points from Gryffindor. Mm -hmm. The only reason why I questioned it is because they're talking about the troll who we're assuming is male, but I don't don't know. (laughs) I don't know. It's a mythical creature. The gender's not discussed in the film. I think because the gender is not discussed or sort of described as anything I think it passes because it could be anything really and I feel like trolls fall into the category of mythical creatures or magical creatures not mythical so obviously they're real obviously I have one outside right now (laughs) so okay it passes the female Bechdel test but it very much does not pass the intersectional Bechdel test I think Dean Thomas gets a line when he says hey look Neville's got a remember all yeah. And that's it. And Lee Thomas speaks during the Quidditch game. But he doesn't really speak to anyone. He just announces the game and comments the game. It. Ferenz just speaks to Harry and I think Hagrid. And that's it. I don't know. I feel like the intersectional maybe is zero because or a one. Yeah. I did notice in the Leaky Cauldron, I was like, oh, there's a black wizard there. I see you. One of you. Mm. Very good. Mm. And then I think on the teachers lineup, one of the teachers was also black, which isn't good enough because this is the UK, which yeah. is quite diverse. Yeah, I would give it a very low low score on the intersectional Bechdel. Are we gonna go for a zero or a one? Maybe a half point. 
<laughs> okay. They get a half point for having people there. <laughs> <laughs> and then the female, again, I don't know, because I think Hermione, I really love Hermione, but I think in this film, she's not portrayed well. She does lots of cool things, but she's not shown as being fun and cool. And Yeah, and I think, like, in general, she doesn't have very sort of exciting, engaging driving conversations with other women no i think she's portrayed as being like the fun sucker yeah but the boys want to have fun and do all these fun things and she's sucking the fun out of it yeah definitely so i don't know again i don't think i want to score it very highly no maybe like two yeah i think a two is fair i really like professor mcgonagall we haven't spoken about her much because I don't think there's really that much to say, but I do love that she stands her ground and is very firm, but fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do think that she could have done a bit more when they went to her to say someone's going to steal the Philosopher's Stone. I was thinking about that a lot in this film in general with the narrative, that I'm like, how the fuck can 11-year-olds solve this by themselves? Yeah. Why isn't there like grown-ups that, you know help out or do things I don't know it's just such a weird thing also like I kept just thinking it's sort of by chance that they escape death constantly (laughs) like especially Harry and Ron yeah they're just so close to death constantly (laughs) and I'm just like I guess with Hermione with Hermione it is actually skill and I guess with Harry it's bravery maybe courage I don't know yeah and, and, I some, and I think he's like semi, semi-skilled as well. Like he can handle a wand. He could wave a wand, but, <laughs> but not like Hermione. Well, he doesn't actually. So actually one of the things I did write down is that right at the end, Harry's only able to defeat Quirrell because of his mother. Yeah. So he actually doesn't do anything. He just puts his hands on Quirrell and because his mother sacrificed herself for him, that sort of love she had for him is like imbued his skin with some kind of protection it's imbued with some kind of protection i think Voldemort doesn't he refer to it as very old magic it's like old old i think dumbledore maybe refers to it as that oh yeah but that's why later on when Voldemort comes back in the fourth film he has to have blood of the enemy i think yeah um because it means that he kind of gets past that protection that his mother has given him which is why he then goes i can touch you now (laughs) do you think it's problematic that quirrell a white man is wearing a turban uh yeah i was thinking about that too actually because he could have just wore wore like a big hat yeah or or like um like a big thing that's not culturally appropriative no, it's a very strange choice. It is a strange choice. And it, I don't think it's ever explained why. And I think to add to the unease of it, in the books, it's described as smelling funny. Oh. And everyone says they think it's because he's terrified of vampires and is hiding garlic in his turban. But oh. I don't think it helps that they're talking about something from like East Asian culture, smelling weird. Not not great. No, not great. Um, so they get negative 10 points for <laughs> for the turban. <laughs> Only for the turban. But yeah, once again, just speaking about Harry and he and nearly escaping death by accident constantly. Like I was thinking about this. The first sort of three, four books, like in the first book, yeah, he only escapes because of his mother and he has the protection in his blood. The second one, he actually fights a bit. Like he stabs this big snake with a sword. And I think, I guess that's pretty good. The third one, it's all because of Hermione and her amazing skill to like bend the time and stuff that they can actually save Sirius and the uh, yeah. big bird, which I can't remember the name of. <laughs> um, the hippogriff, Buckbeak. <laughs> Buckbeak, yeah. <laughs> and in the fourth film, it's also his, once again, his, his mother, you know, because she comes out of this one when he's meeting Voldemort and she's like, we can only stay for a second, but we'll stay and like linger and sort of confuse yeah. them or they would like haste their view or whatever. And you throw yourself to the poor king. Mm. He does in the in the fifth film, he does because everyone's like, oh, my God, you're so good at defense against the dark arts. You defeated all of these things. He's yeah. like, that oh, was God. luck. I had yeah. so much help. Yeah. OK, so we're going to give. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone a two and a half out of ten. Great. <laughs> I was quite disappointed, you know. Yeah, I know. I know. I do get that it's about Harry Potter and yeah. it I, I was given that it's quite a long film, it's over two hours, so there, there wasn't much 
content to write about no no but I guess because they mostly just putter around and <laughs> hey <laughs> oh god um yeah they just like I don't know walk around do things hang out at school um play some Quidditch play some Quidditch yeah, in a restricted section for a while exactly sneak out do things <laughs> is it does it get the invisibility cloak in the first film yes yeah yeah it does yeah sneak out with this little cloak yeah and I think because they don't become friends with Hermione until after the troll incident and she goes away for Christmas so she's not there for the whole mirror of Erised stuff true yeah, she's yeah, not yeah. there for Christmas day and yeah and obviously the first part of the film it's all really just Harry yeah and then he meets up with Hagrid so there's not a lot I'm excited by the later ones when we get into characters like Luna Lovegood and Tonks and yes Umbridge yeah. and some of the other I love Tonks yeah she's really cool she's so I like cool. Natalie Tanner who plays her mm. pretty sure her name's Natalie at any rate and she's really cool she's very she's cool really cool okay so Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone gets two and a half out of ten, man, for something that is one of my favourite things in the world. That is very sad. But hey. That's life. Yeah, that's life. It, avoid J.K. Rowling's Twitter at all costs if you can and just shun her from your lives. <laughs> shun her from your life and indulge oh. in fan fiction written by dedicated fans. Yes. Agreed. Well put. Um, thank you very much, Hedbig, for joining me today on our sleepy hour podcasting. <laughs> thank you for having me from the floor in my studio. <laughs> you are most welcome. Thank you very much to me for being here today because I'm tired and I'm doing really well. So I'm just going to pat me on the back. Good job, me. You're doing great. <laughs> Good job, Joe. Good job, me. Thank you. And thank you very much to Lee for doing all the editing and producing and artwork. He is spending a lot of his spare time on the podcast. So round of applause for Lee. Very good. And a big thank you to Sandra as well for doing the music that you hear at the beginning and end of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in the chats and let us know what you think about Harry Potter. Do you love Hermione? Do you hate Ron? Let us know. I'm curious to find out your thoughts. You can find us at Real Feminism. That's real spelt R-E-E-L. And we'll be back in your ears in two weeks' time where we will be talking about Pirates of the Caribbean. Ooh, the Curse oh. of the Black Pearl. Ooh. How is the Pirates of the Caribbean theme now again? Da, 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 da. No, this game. You will always remember this as the day that you almost caught Captain Jack Sparrow. Bye. Bye.